This episode of the Get in the Game podcast featuring former Major League Baseball player Nick Hundley is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. We also want to invite you to check out our website, sportspectrum.com, where you can check out more stories on the intersection of sports and faith, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, where you get stories and podcasts directly in your inbox each week for free. We'd also love for you to check out our magazine. You can sign up right there on sportspectrum.com. Just $18 gets you a year subscription, plenty of stories and devotionals focusing on the intersection of sports and faith. Just $18 for a year. So check it all out, sportspectrum.com. Now, let's get in the game. Welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Lindring, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad, so let's dive right in. I'm Scott Lindring. We're here with the Get in the Game Podcast, and this week we're going to mix things up a little bit because this is actually the first time that I've done a live interview. All of our interviews before have been, been over Zoom. Of course, that really doesn't mean a whole lot to the audience because it sounds just the same, but I'm actually looking at the guy that I'm interviewing. It is Mr. Nick Hundley. Uh, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Lanny. This is awesome. Awesome to see you in, in person and be together, but uh, amazing just to be on with you. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, so I'm going to start with introducing you a little bit. And you played 12 years in the major leagues as a catcher. And we're going to go to that uh, a little bit and talk about the the specific role of the catcher and just what a um, what what an asset you are to the field there. Um, yeah, you serve in a in a unique way that that not a lot of people on the on the field or off the field may realize. But um, you were my catcher in San Diego. Besides San Diego, you also played in San Francisco. You played in Oakland. Fill in the blanks for me here. Uh, Baltimore and Colorado. Okay. Bounce around a little bit. Yeah. But um, but that's the great thing about catchers who play in a lot of different places. You see a lot of different pitchers, too. So you have to be kind of all things to all people. Uh, but when you and I first met, you were a young rookie just coming up. And I think I was probably, you know, more on the backside of my career. And uh, I got to start this interview with an apology because <laughs> – Man, I, I beat up some catchers back in the day, and <laughs> we're laughing about this now, but I know that it's probably there was some gritted teeth because I threw that split finger that I often didn't know where it was going, and it would often bounce right in front of the plate and just tear catchers up. I mean, actually one bullpen catcher actually broke his arm in San Diego. So I want to apologize right now for all of the pain that I may have caused you. Yeah, and, uh, no worries. And this was before all the Evo Shield came out too. So you were wearing it on the on the wrist and, and the forearm, a hundred percent. So pure flesh for sure. Well, and here you are, you know, a young rookie trying to impress. You know, you're not allowed to complain or say anything. And so, I mean, you're just back there wearing it. So. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, in preparation, this probably wasn't the healthiest thing I've ever done in my life. But in preparation for catching guys like you, I would literally in the off season hit myself with like wire hangers in the forearm <laughs> as hard as I could, and really, just, yeah, tell myself over and over again like it didn't hurt. So where I, I I would get to a point where I would like mentally try to feel absolutely no pain in in that sense, and probably wasn't super healthy for me but i would get to that point where you do wear one in the dirt and it's like it doesn't doesn't really matter 
I'm picturing Billy Madison sitting there in front of the <laughs> pitching machine, like yeah. taking balls <laughs> off the chest. <laughs> not to that, yeah, not to that extent, <laughs> but yeah, close. Wow. Okay. I did not realize. I've got a, a whole new level of appreciation <laughs> no. now for catchers. I certainly did not inflict harm on myself to prepare yeah. for a season. Um, wow. So wh- why don't we just stop right there and just talk a little bit about the catcher role and how unique that is and, and how you serve the whole team. You've, you're the only one with the perspective of the entire field. And, of course, there's a, a lot of duties that come with that. But but talk about how you, you took that role and, and in the way of serving the rest of the team. Yeah, it was a, a really special time uh, for me. I'm really thankful that that was the position I was able to play because um, yeah, everybody is kind of looking at you on the field. You know, yeah, you're the only one that's looking out at everybody else. So um, knowing that you are, you know, obviously the pitcher has the final say in what pitch to throw. But knowing that you are kind of running the game and running the game plan and you have the ability to, to control a little bit is, is really cool. And it's, it puts you in a leadership position. And, you know, uh, based on our, our beliefs as a family and who I know Jesus to be as, a, as the greatest leader, but also the greatest servant, um, it really puts you in that servant leadership mentality. And, and once I was able to, to figure that out and know that, you know, you're working with 12, 13 different guys, different pitchers from different areas that have different perspectives and every day they're coming in and they have a finite amount of time to play the game. Right. And there's a catcher or position player. You have the whole game and you have the next day of the next day. So to, to realize that they have that small amount of time to compete and to make sure that you match that level of, of a clarity and intensity for them, knowing that this is the biggest moment uh, in their day. Um, if you can match that and serve them in that way, it, it will go a long way with them. You know, I, th- I love everything you said right there. Uh, I think about what I appreciated about catchers, and I'm thinking of specifically – because my job was coming in usually late in the game – Runners on base. It's a tight ball game. I mean, every pitch matters, and especially with that guy on third base. And I'm going to throw a pitch like a split finger that I know yeah. is the right pitch to that hitter to get him out, but it may end up in something in the dirt. And of course, we don't want a, a wild pitch. And I have to have full confidence in that catcher back there that he is going to block that ball. And so, knowing that that you have confidence in your job gives me confidence in my ability to do my job. And so, you know, that, that mutual uh, respect and admiration for each other definitely plays out in the field and our ability to go out and do our job. Yeah, and you know what? I was really fortunate to come up with guys like you and my rookie with Trevor Hoffman and Greg Maddox and even Darren Balsley, our pitching coach in, in San Diego. And he, he did a really good job um, with me, developed me, and like really testing me on pitches that I called and why I called it and always having a reason for it. Um, so knowing when you come in the game, knowing trying to put you or any other pitcher in the best possible position to be successful you know if if the guys come in the game and you know that i want you to have success more than anything you're going to love to throw in that scenario and if you know that i've or any other catcher it doesn't have to be me personally but any other catcher has put in the work to know who you are to know what you like to do to feel comfortable and in every scenario, um, you know, with guys on, with nobody on, big lead, tight game. Um, if I know what's going to make you comfortable in that situation and I've done my homework and I've put you in the best possible position to be successful, you're going to love that to, to, to throw to that catcher. Right? That, so, that is a great point. I, I love the way you stated that right there. Um, I felt that way about management too. 
if I know that my manager is looking out for my best interest, and of course it's all about team, it's all about winning the game, but a manager's job is to put the best guy in there that that is going to be set up for success. And of course his success determines success for the team. Um, but, you know, there were some cases where I feel like, you know, I've just been thrown out here to eat up an inning or this isn't really my spot. Um, if those th- thoughts start going through my head, then that reduces the trust that I have in leadership. And so, you know, how important it is for a manager to know that you've got a manager that has your back, that wants you to succeed, that's when you're ready to run through a wall for them. So yeah. thank you for articulating that. Um, that's really good. So can you relate that to, to faith at all? You, you've uh, mentioned faith already there briefly, but um, can, can you relate what we just talked about to faith, about you know putting us in um, chances to succeed and, and knowing that we have a God who is serving us by giving us opportunity? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think there's some times, and I live at this address sometimes, I don't live at the address of victory. You know, I live at the address of beating myself up, or I made a mistake, or I jacked it up in my marriage, or as a dad, I messed up, or I sinned, or I fell short. Um, and I live in that address, as opposed to living from victory. And knowing, you know, when Jesus says, go and sin no more, he doesn't say, go and sin no more, that's enough. He says, hey, I love you. I want the best for you. I want you to live this life. I've come so you can live this life and live it to the fullest. Go and sin no more. Follow me. Mm-hmm. You know, I got you. You're my son. You're on my team. Let's go do this together. You know, and, and living out of that love as opposed to the condem- condemnation. You know, we've all played for, for managers that you make a mistake, you strike out with the bases loaded, you're a worthless person. Mm-hmm. You give up a grand slam, you give up the lead in the eighth in a, in a big game down the stretch, in a playoff run, you're, in, you're not valuable to this team, you're not valuable to me. And then you go out there the next day and you strike out the side and all of a sudden you're my best friend, right? We've all played for, for that guy, but you know the guy that, you know, I was really lucky in San Diego. Bud Black was a manager when I was young, and he was unbelievable. Like, I genuinely thought he cared about me and my wife. And then when we had our first daughter in San Diego, I genuinely cared that he wanted me to do well so I could take care of my daughter, Mm. you know? And I feel like that's, you know, Jesus's perspective on us. Mm. Like, he wants us to follow him so we can live this life to the fullest. And that's just kind of how I relate it there. And that's when you realize that Jesus is for you, and not up in heaven condemning you or like looking down or like can't wait to punish you because you messed up or or things like that. I think that that changes my mindset a lot in terms of my relationship with Jesus. Yeah, that's a great, I want to affirm what you said because I think so much of our lives just naturally our human instinct is, you know, that performance-based mentality and the consequences that come when we don't perform up to a level of our pleasing or whoever we're trying to please. And, you know, even going back to, hitting ourselves in the arm with coat hangers. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, that's just kind of our natural human instinct. And it's not, that's not the case. Like you say, we fight from victory. We don't have to go out there and, and prove or win the day. The day has already been won. We can wake up in full gratitude and thankfulness knowing that Jesus died on the cross. My sins are forgiven. Now I get to fight from victory. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, all right, take me beyond the baseball field now. So you played for 12 years. Um, you got involved with uh, some different things off the field. Um, maybe talk about some of those things that 
became important to you in terms of serving and giving back? Um, and then in a minute here, we're going to talk about what you're doing now. But but what were some of those things that you and your wife, Amy, supported while you were playing? Yeah, so um, I read a book by a really awesome author, Mark Batterson. He's a bunch of bunch of great books, but he kind of, uh, one of them said, what, whatever makes you mad, sad, or glad, kind of like run after those. Those are God-given passions. So um, that kind of, you know, framed our uh, perspective in terms of like off field things we want to get involved with. And, you know, as a family, we kind of decided on three things, one being Bible translation, um, things that get in the word all over the, all over the world to places that didn't have the word in their language. Um, another, um, being, we have two daughters, um, fighting, trafficking, uh, sex trafficking. We had, um, some unbelievable people in our lives. We've got to know and, uh, some awesome survivors. Um, and we met, met some girls from the Philippines when our daughter was six months old and they shared their testimony about, you know, being sold into prostitution by their aunt when she was 12. And then another girl was somehow her story was worse than that. And we were holding this six-month-old baby girl. Like, what would be the worst thing that would ever happen to her in this lifetime? And I feel like that would be it. And it really broke our heart. Like, and that's the, our genesis and learning about what's going on in the world. Um, back in that was in 2014, I think. So, got involved in the anti-trafficking space that way. Um, and then, uh, lastly, um, investing in businesses as as a way to uh, to um, uh, further the kingdom. Mm. Um, you know, an awesome preacher, Brian Loretz, that we heard him speak. He said, uh, you know, the world doesn't need more preachers. It needs more people in the marketplace killing it for Jesus. Mm. And really it was like, okay, yeah, how do, what, what kind of model do we want to uh, want to pursue? And then if you can go out there and, uh, and be successful and bring something to the table that, that the world wants uh, and then go and use those funds to, to further kingdom uh, impact uh, organizations. That's kind of where the three buckets and, and one of my best friends um, really, you know, because as you're playing, you know, you get a lot of opportunities. You know, there are a lot of people um, you can get involved with. But he, he did a really good job of narrowing down, say, you need to focus on three areas as a family hmm. so you don't get spread too thin. I like that, the simplicity of that, the mad, sad, the glad. Um, you know, and you talk about uh, being supportive of things that you're really called to. So I'm guessing there's a fair amount of discernment and prayer that you went through and, and processed before you decided on those things. Yeah. Um, but that's one thing I hear from so many people too is, gosh, I'm just, I'm confronted with so many great causes. I just don't know which one to support. They all sound good. Um, but that's a, that's a really good, that's practical wisdom right there on how to really land on some key areas that God's called us to and really be impactful in those areas. And I mean, you mentioned the fact that y'all were giving, um, but you went too. You went to the Philippines. When you, was that when you held that little girl? When yeah. You traveled? Okay. Yeah. So when we yeah we went to the Philippines um, in 2019. We have a, a home there in uh, aftercare home called uh, Consider the Lily. The organization and we have uh, I think 54 girls now in two different homes and uh, they've all been rescued out of trafficking or abusive situations. And kind of our sweet spot is getting girls from, uh, you know, um, that are ready to prosecute their offenders. Mm -hmm. So they go through these horrific ordeals, um, and we uh, are able to, you know, to bring them into our home, disciple them. Um, the first year that they're in the home, they uh, were home, they're homeschooled. If they're able to go to school after that outside the home, we'll, we'll take care of that. If they're able to go to college, we'll do that. And then, um, you know, teach them about Jesus and 
you know, watch these girls be redeemed and to, to see um, them go through these court cases and have the courage to stand up against their abusers and say, yeah, this is what happened. And then to watch that play out and justice to be served on their behalf is unbelievable. And then to watch them, you know, worship Jesus at church and, and sing in their own language. It's like, a, you know, I mean, one of the greatest moments of, of our life to be able to experience that. And, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, another thing that me and my wife talked about is just like, what kind of legacy are we leaving for our girls? You know, we live fortunately in San Diego. We want to show them not, that not everybody lives in San Diego because you were born in America, you have these opportunities. And because these girls were born in the Philippines, this is kind of what they have to go through, things like that. So to be able to, to bring them along in the journey is something super important with us mm-hmm. for, for us as well as they, as they get older. Yeah, human trafficking is definitely one of those huge injustices with our world. Um, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because, um, you know, as I work in the spaces that, that we've been called to, uh, specifically with clean water, um, I'm constantly confronted with this cycle of poverty. It's just a cycle. It's a vicious cycle, right? And it just, there's factors in there that keep people in that cycle. And even when they get a break or they, they break out for a moment, they're sucked right back into that cycle. And it really requires um, a process to make sure that we're not just impacting one area to get them out of that, but, but it's a holistic approach. And so you mentioned the prosecution to the offenders, but talk maybe about some of the rehabilitation that's necessary to keep these girls away from that lifestyle. Yeah, the aftercare side is so hard. Um, you know, the, f- the things that they will have to go through or p- any, any person in poverty, the struggle that they're going to have to go through is completely different. Um, so to be able to get them out into a safe place, you know, um, a story of one of the girls in the home who uh, went to a court case and then a year later came back and the judge said, where is she? I don't even recognize her from where she was a year ago just wow. to see and was like, keep doing what you're doing because this is unbelievable to see the transformation. So wow. um, that part and then to hear a girl say, hey, I don't have to go to sleep afraid tonight. And then I'm bringing that back to our two girls. Like, what would it look like for my seven-year-old and my five-year-old literally to go to sleep tonight afraid mm-hmm. and of what might happen to her? And so to be able to go out there and and, uh, and fight for the, the girls that can't fight for themselves or the people in poverty that, that live outside the protection of law is something that's uh, really dear to our hearts. And, you know, like you said, it, it it's really hard as, as a dad to know that that's out there and going on. Um, so if we have the ability to fight it, we're going to. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep playing this up because I think yours is a really cool story that a lot of people need to hear. Um, and there's not a lot of guys doing it like you do it. And, um, so, you know, after the game, you obviously had a very successful career. Uh, you gave and supported while you played to these causes that you mentioned, you went, you took time to go on a trip you're now working full-time for an organization that is impacting one of these areas that, that is very close to your heart. Uh, talk about how you made the decision to actually go and work for IJM. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, so in May, uh, three months on the job now, so have all the answers. <laughs> you know? um, no, but uh, it's been, um, uh, been a really, uh, really great transition for us as a family. And, you know, I love um, being able to say we have a, a home that's, you know, having helping girls be rehabilitated. Um, but it'd be really awesome not to have the need for any of those homes. Mm-hmm. Right. And then something that really hit me, and this is, you know, is hard to say, but 
you know, if I'm all for going in and, and rescuing girls or people in these situations, for sure. But if if the people that are persecuting them aren't held accountable for their actions, they're just going to go and get somebody else. So it's an awesome day for the girl who was rescued out, but it's a terrible day for the next girl who's living in an impoverished village that's just going to be uh, in that situation mm-hmm. next. So International Justice Mission, we go in and uh, work to, uh, you know, if there's a, there's a place um, that's com- some or someone or a, or a business that's committing these types of crimes. We work with the local uh, governments and, and country governments to go help prosecute and, and hold the people accountable mm-hmm. and protect people in poverty from violence. Because um, there's a lot of people in this world who live outside the rule of law, where if you called 911, nobody's answering. Now, we don't really understand, and I didn't understand that either um, until a couple uh, couple years ago, where if, if I pick up the phone and call 911, I, I need help, somebody's coming. Mm-hmm. you know. But if there's somebody in, in the Philippines or El Salvador or Uganda, where you guys, I mean, people all over the world, they don't have enough money to, to defend themselves. And then if there's a crime committed against them, like they have no way to prosecute. So um, it's amazing. We had a, a, a girl in, in the Philippines, who was uh, abused for years and pressing charges against uh, a family member. But the family member was, um, uh, their dad was um, running for a government seat, had a lot of money. Um, so we walk in the courtroom with a public defender and they have a lot of backing. And me and Amy were like, I don't think that's right. You know, she's not going to get justice because she doesn't have enough money. So thankfully, what we, I mean, we played a sport in America that's on TV you get paid well to entertain people. We're like, okay, no, go hire lawyers. And it was unbelievable, the transformation, just having the ability to defend yourself. But what about the people that don't have backing, don't have money, you know? Like, so that's the, that's the fight that IJM is fighting to protect people um, in poverty from violence, which mm-hmm. is, it's been a really fun uh, transition, a way to learn. I got a lot more to learn, but it's been really fun so far. Yeah, and you and I had a conversation right when you were considering taking the job, um, and I really appreciated that call when you were asking me about, you know, what does that look like transitioning from uh, going from playing a game of baseball to, you know, working in the nonprofit sector and advocating on behalf of this. But um, but I can tell in your voice that you've got a real passion for it. And when you were talking earlier, I could just sense the responsibility that you feel, and it reminded me of something that – that I heard once and I often revert back to is, you know, if not us, then who? Um, If we don't step up and speak up for these people that are not heard. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that I see in the world of poverty is, you know, you talk to people that live on the other side of the world that are cut off basically from the outside world. And, and that's one of the biggest things that I hear from them is nobody understands what it's like to be me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. And the importance of guys like you that go to these places, that that see it with their own eyes, that come back and tell the stories and get people excited here. Because the reality is, I mean, probably 95% of the people that you work with or that I work with are not going to go there and and take a trip to Thailand. Um, But if we can come back and, and we can tell them about, hey, this is what's going on, this is how you're having an impact by you know, the, the gifts that you're giving. Um, and these are the differences that are, that are happening in people's lives. I mean, that, that just completes the circle. And I was, I had one guy share this with me and I I love the analogy. He says, you know, we're kingdom brokers. We're basically looking at the problems with the world 
and we're looking at folks that have a real heart and an interest for impacting those problems. And we are essentially creating that transaction to allow that impact to happen. And then going back and telling them, you know, what it, what it means. So it's a great job that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I, I mean, the, to be able to call you as a, as a believer and a friend, um, was invaluable to me. And I, I mean, I always be indebted just to be able to call you and, and pick your brain. Cause there's a lot of people in this, in this life that I've been able to meet that, that are very, very mature in their faith and their walk. And I really appreciate their, their opinion. So thanks for, thanks for letting me bug you. Well, yeah. And it's, I'd say it's tough. You know, um, one of the things that I feel, you know, and you kind of alluded to the burden that we carry, um, when you hear about stuff that's wrong in our world and certainly the darkness that you walk in with the, uh, the human trafficking, um, it's really easy to get caught up in that. And, and, and that is a burden. And, you know, sometimes it just, and I've found it to be overwhelming sometimes just to think about there's so many things wrong in our world. Um, you know, and we can't solve it today or this week or this year. Um, and so, you know, there really has to be a, a lot of, again, you know, praying and, and giving that to God and understanding that this is not a problem that I'm going to fix. I'm not a, you know, this isn't a hero complex. It can be, but, um, but you know, we need the help. We need the body of Christ to rally yeah. around this. We need partners. We need people to come alongside. We need, you know, guys in our position, me and you need to encourage each other too. So um, that's so important. What would you say to this? Um, because this was something that I dealt with too. You know, after a 12-year major league career, and then people see you go to work immediately, and they think, well, you know, why do you have to work? Why, why don't you, you know, sit back and relax for a little bit or maybe take some time? And maybe you did go on a vacation with the family, but, um, but what would you say to that of, well, you don't really have to work? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and um, my wife will tell you I I need to <laughs> to get out of the house, get moving. Mine would too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so she's like, yeah, you can retire, but you, you get whatever job it is, you got to go get one. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I read a, a quote from um, you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was fighting uh, against Nazi Germany, trying to bring down Hitler, and you know, in that time, I feel like. Um, you know, people were thinking, Hey, this the world's coming to an end, you know, world war II, like Jesus is coming back. And I read a quote from him because a lot of people are saying, why are you working? So I did like, Jesus is about to come back. He said, Jesus may come back tomorrow, but today I have work to do. Mm. And that really hit me. It's like, yeah, like we have today, mm. um, to go to work for the kingdom. And yeah, there's, there's, you know, there'll be times to, for rest for sure. And they, you know, we took our first family summer vacation ever this year, which was incredible, you know, to say, Hey, we can just go relax and celebrate. But, um, at the same time, you know, you don't really retired from baseball, but don't really ever retire from a purpose. So, and our purpose is to spread the word to, if you have a passion for people, um, that need water, go help them. If you have a passion for people that can't defend themselves, go defend them. If you have a passion to, to educate, go educate, you know, whatever your, wherever your passion is, um, pursue that and, and you'll never retire from that. So that's kind of my mindset. Um, yeah, I don't play baseball anymore. I miss being around the guys for sure, but my, my purpose was never to be a baseball player. And when I was a baseball player, you know, we're just, we're just overpaid missionaries, <laughs> you know? So, um, that's kind of my thought process on why you go back and, and why you don't just, you know, hang out and, and, and hang them up. That's well said right there. 
Um, Nick, if you could tell me, what do you think the next five years holds? I mean, I know this is dangerous sometimes <laughs> to talk about five-year plans, but everybody has a vision. Um, you got into this. You, you mentioned you've only been with IJM for a few months, but what do you hope to accomplish in the next few years? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, I know um, with IJM, we're, we're expanding. Um, I work for the, the team freedom side of it with pro athletes trying to end slavery and trafficking. Um, and we're going to build that out. We have a big audacious goal um, to reach by 2030 in terms of people protected. Um, and we're going to run and, and go try to try to um, get to that goal and build out the platform, build out uh, more, more sports, more teams. Um, you know, the, the impact that sports has on society as a whole is massive. So guys being able to use their voices um, to fight for change um, is something I'm super passionate about. So we'll build that out. Um, I'm going to coach my daughter's softball team and soccer teams and, uh, and hang out and, uh, you know, be a dad um, for a while and hopefully, uh, you know, be a, be a husband too and, and prioritize my wife because she just got out of the the 12-year cycle as well, like your wife knows. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that we struggled with a little bit right when I retired. First couple months, is like, hey, I'm done. Let's go. Let's let's move. Let's do stuff together. Now we have, we have nothing's kind of holding us back. And she's like, whoa, let's, I need to take a deep breath. Like that was a whirlwind, moving three times a year, playing for five teams, raising two kids, moving them all over the country. Um, I want to take a breath. And so there was, there was, there was a definite contention there. So, um, on that side, just, just be a husband. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, that's, uh, some great goals, um, maybe a little bit beyond five years. And, um, I know you're very passionate about the Bible translation movement and we both know that 2033 is a big year. Yeah. So 2030, 2033, there's, there's big things happening. There's big opportunities for people to get involved and serve in the kingdom of God. And we need them all. Let me, uh, let me close by just asking you this one question. We're both here in Utah together uh, at a conference, and we've had some amazing teaching. Um, what's one thing maybe related to service or just in your walk of faith that God's really teaching you right now? Yeah, this has been a great time, um, especially on um, the marriage side. Um, you know, a lot of truth being told, and I think— you know, going through this process as a player, you know, my wife is at home raising our family and then we come back for a couple months and then go do it all again. And then so getting through here and saying, hey, I really need to support her and love on her. And these, I mean, it's been amazing to be here with, with everybody and, and learn and grow. But the, the main thing coming out of this would be how are you loving your wife and how is that going to trickle down to your family and how are those decisions going to impact your family and your legacy going forward? That's great. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about some really lofty goals and talking global missions, but it really all goes back down through the funnel back to our family, our kids. But at the end of the day, it's our wife. we got to love our wives. For sure. That's a great way to serve. Yeah. For sure. And there's sometimes when, you know, <laughs> my pride gets in the way for sure. And I don't want to apologize or I don't want to serve or I want to be right. Um, and in, at the end of the day, that really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we're going to stand in front of front of the king and he's going to say, I, I this is the wife that I entrusted you with. Did you build her up? Did you teach her? Did you grow with her or did you 
serve yourself. So um, there's definitely been times when I've served myself and there's definitely been times when I've been wrong and didn't want to admit it or fought to be right um, as opposed to build her up. And uh, so that's, that, that'll be something I'll really take out of this and, and have to look in the mirror for a long time for, for sure. That's great. That's great wisdom for all of us. Nick, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you for what you're doing with IJM and God's blessings to you and your work. Mine is awesome, man. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Get In The Game podcast with Scott Limebring, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott on Twitter at Scott Limebring. We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. We also want to invite you to rate and review this show and our others on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the shows and know that they're ones that they might enjoy. We also have a magazine full of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe for an entire year for just $18. You can do that and read new stories and devotionals daily about sports and faith on our website, sportsspectrum.com. Thanks for listening.